early in his ministry, uh, there's a good king named Josiah. And under good King Josiah, they were ferreting around in the temple, and they found the book of the law, which they'd lost. So they'd lost the Bible. And they read this book of the law, and there was this tearing, and a tearing of robes, a sign of repentance, and there was a great grief and a sense of personal grief about these things, and it began a kind of revival, which Jeremiah uh, was a key preacher for. And we think that the book they found was the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, there have been several places in the book of Jeremiah where it looks like he's quoting and referencing Deuteronomy. And this is evidence that, that this book is at play in these things. So this nationwide revival, this kind of last-ditch spiritual renewal under the threat of imminent annihilation from the Babylonians, and the revival doesn't take. The people don't repent. So um, why, they hear the word, but instead of relying on God, they rely on the temple. Well, we've got the temple. We're going to be okay, right? Or instead of relying on God, they rely on other people, right? Oh, maybe Pharaoh can help us, or maybe these things. So that's a form of relying on politics rather than relying on God. Or even they rely on false gods. They look to other deities than God to try and help them get saved. And on top of this, they rely on false teachers, there were false teachers in Israel at this time. So here we have men and possibly women of God who spoke, had the positions of authority. They had the positions to speak as teachers of Israel, to speak God's words to people, and instead of pointing them to God, they spoke falsely and deceptively and misleadingly. They misrepresented God to God's people. And this is a whole category of people at this time. So, despite the fact that the book of Jeremiah is 2,700 years old, this is one of the places where his situation is especially relevant to our own. Who gets to speak for God? And how do we know as the church who is and is not someone speaking for God? I think these are pretty critical questions. And before I dig into the passage, which is Jeremiah chapter 28, there's a couple things I do want to say. Now, I think this is clear from what I've said already. There are true prophets and there are false prophets in the world. True prophets speak the word of God, and the false prophets deceive God's people. Now, before we start applying moral agency to people, I think this can be both intentional and unintentional. And I'm actually convinced that most people today who are misrepresenting God think they're doing the right thing, which is far more dangerous. So, but we'll come back to that in a minute. And I think that this aspect of speaking about prophets and false prophets does apply to teaching pastors, people who stand before you with the word of God and speak to you. I think what I say today applies to someone like me. Now, I don't claim to be a prophet, right? I don't want you to think that I'm not saying, I'm not, and you know I'm not, because I don't stand before you and say, thus says the Lord, and then deliver my sermons. Because then what does that mean? If you disagree with me, who are you disagreeing with? The Lord, right? And so I don't put myself in that position. But in my office, as your lead pastor and your chief teacher, I'm a person who has to speak the word of God to you, or I will deceive God's people. And I need to know where I stand in this as well. And I should let you know that I will one day answer before the throne of God as to whether I've been more like Jeremiah or like Hananiah, who is the person we studied today. 
So Jeremiah chapter 28 gives us a story of Jeremiah's confrontation with Hananiah, who's a false prophet. I'm going to read this story for you now. It's the middle of Jeremiah's life. He has this encounter in the temple courts. We're going to go through this together. We have quite a bit of scripture to read today. I'll read the whole chapter because it's a worthy story to read. Um, And as I said before, I'm going to get to the end of this. I'll say the word of the Lord. And if you like, you can say, thanks be to God. But there's no pressure, okay? That's good for you. All right, so here we go. Jeremiah chapter 28. Now, in the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, in the fifth month, Hananiah, son of Azur, the prophet who is from Gibeon, spoke to me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, and here's what Hananiah said, thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I am going to bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I am also going to bring back to this place Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles of Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen! May the Lord do so! May the Lord confirm your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all the exiles from Babylon to this place. Yet hear now this word which I'm about to speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who were before me and before you from ancient times prophesied against many lands and against great kingdoms. They prophesied of war and of calamity, of pestilence. The prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then that prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke it. Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break within two full years the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations. Then the prophet Jeremiah went his way. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and speak to Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made instead of them yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. And I have also given him the beasts of the field, given Nebuchadnezzar rulership. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year you are going to die because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year, in the seventh month. So what's going on here? What's going on in this passage? Summary, first of all, Hananiah, a court prophet. Official kind of role. He's got pedigree. His father's a priest. He's, got, he's, in, he's known as a prophet. He's fulfilling this official role of someone who speaks God's word. He's respected. He's known. He's got the credentials, right? He's, he's Hananiah, prophet, uh, P-O-L, prophet of the Lord, right? He's got the initials after his name. 
He's got what he needs. Jeremiah, also a public prophet, also standing in the courts, also known. Now, what do we get? Both men in the house of the Lord having a conversation. And here's Jeremiah apparently walking around with a yoke on his neck. Like this is just, he's just hanging out in the temple courts and he's wearing a yoke. So what's a yoke? Well, we've got, I've got a couple images here. Um, on the left, here's a kind of Egyptian guy. And the yoke is the way you tether oxen to ropes so you can till your fields, right? It's a way of binding them together. And we've got modern yokes. And here's another, a kind of, uh, here's a single yoke, right? So there's a, there's a cross beam and a way it ties around your neck. And then it's going to be tied to ropes. It's going to be using you for something. Jeremiah somehow has procured. Who, did the farmer know that his yoke was being stolen by Jeremiah? I don't know. Where did he get it? I don't know. We just know he shows up wearing this thing. And here's Jeremiah walking around very dramatically with this wooden yoke on his neck. Now, it becomes a symbol, biblically and historically, of, of slavery and of oppression. You are under the yoke of the Egyptians. You are in bondage. You are like a piece of cattle to them. Okay, it's kind of what it's saying in this, in this model. So, Hananiah stands up and he speaks, God will break the yoke of the Babylonians. In other words, good things are coming, people. Everything's going to be okay. And then he, he says, Jeremiah stands up. He's got the yoke visibly around his neck. And Jeremiah, he's, he's actually not a sourpuss. He's like, oh, I hope that's true. I want these good things too. This, Jeremiah's heart's in the right place. He wants these good things. And then verse 9, Jeremiah presents this thing. The prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then that prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. I mean, Jeremiah is just, again, he's probably quoting Deuteronomy. I like your word. May it come true. And if it comes true, we'll know you're a true prophet. But if it doesn't, hmm, we have some problems here. So Hananiah takes the wooden yoke from Jeremiah's neck and then breaks the yoke. Let's look again at verses 12 through 14. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. Go and speak to Hananiah saying, thus says the Lord. Let me pause there for a second. Hananiah said, the Lord says, and now Jeremiah says, the Lord says, one of them isn't telling the truth, right? God doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. One person heard from the Lord, the other person did not. And so here's the beginning of this understanding of contest between them. Go and speak to Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken yokes of wood, but you have made instead of them yokes of iron. Uh-oh. You did this public thing of breaking the yoke, but you didn't change God's word. Your public removal of what Jeremiah is doing doesn't change who God is. We don't have that kind of authority to alter who God is relative to the world, and this is becoming problems. Now, instead of a yoke of wood, it becomes a yoke of iron. It's going to get worse, a thing that can't be broken by human hands. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him, and I've also given him the beasts of the field. Then Jeremiah the prophet says to Hananiah, listen now. The Lord has not sent you, and you have made these people trust in a lie. Jeremiah calls him out on the spot. What you thought, you're, that's not the Lord. He spoke to me, and I heard it. Okay. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm about to remove you from the face of this earth. This year you're going to die because you counseled rebellion against the Lord. And that gets us to this horrible verse, verse 17. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. The beginning of the passage said it was this year in the fifth month. Within two months, the guy's dead. And now we have proof of the prophet, right? 
Hananiah says, the Lord will bring peace. And Jeremiah says, great, may it be so. And Jeremiah says, you're dead. And in two months, he's dead. Who was telling the truth? Jeremiah is validated in this moment. So how do we know that Hananiah was false? How do we know that Hananiah was false? I think, you know, you could read this passage and you could conclude that you've either got it or you don't, right? Like some people have the spirit of the Lord and some people don't. Some people have the knack and some people don't. It's just arbitrary. But there's actually something really key that shows us the difference and helps us to spot it today. And that's this thing. The true prophet or teacher knows both the word of God and the voice of God. Let me say that again. The true prophet or teacher knows both the word of God and the voice of God. We're going to spend a few minutes on this, and we'll take both parts of it together. So part one, the true prophet or teacher knows the word of God. How do we know that Jeremiah knows God's word while Hananiah does not? Well, it goes back to this business of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book found at this key moment, most likely the book of the revival. Jeremiah makes several references to this book, and we actually find another reference in this passage as well. Let me give you a brief headline for the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? We've got five books at the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of what's called the Torah, the book of the law. So Israel's about to enter into the land and take possession of it. They finish their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And Moses stands up and gives a series of speeches. Here's where you've come from. Here's where you need to go. Here's where you're going to screw up. And here's what God's going to do about it. Okay? That's my short, short summary of the book of Deuteronomy. Go read it on your own. You'll see these things. At the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses outlines a series of blessings and curses. If you obey God's laws and do these things, abundant blessing for you. It's magnificent. If you don't obey, it's going to be bad. And the passage I want to read from you from Deuteronomy 28 is part of the it's going to be bad if you don't obey portion of the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, I'm just going to read a few verses. Deuteronomy chapter, eight, chapter 28, verses 45 through 50. So here, 45, so all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever. Your disobedience will become a sign and a wonder on you. Verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. This is the curse of God upon the Israelites for not obeying him. Verse 49, because this gets us to what's coming up. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. Foreign nation will take you over, iron yoke on the neck. All right, why is Jeremiah wearing a yoke around his neck? Because he's read Deuteronomy. Because he knows the word of God. Because he knows that the curses of Deuteronomy are falling upon God's people because of their disobedience. And now he is becoming a visible sermon illustration for what is going to happen to them if they don't repent. You see kind of what Jeremiah's pointing to and how he's using his body for these things. Jeremiah is quoting scripture with a yoke. 
Okay. Why does Hananiah break the yoke? Because he doesn't know the word of God. He's not read Deuteronomy. He doesn't know what God's word says about these things. If he knew that, he would know what Jeremiah was doing and he wouldn't oppose him. So Hananiah's actions reveals that he is ignorant of the word of God, although he claims to be a prophet of God. So that's part one. Prophet, the true prophet knows both the word of God. And then the second part is the true prophet knows the voice of God. Jeremiah and Hananiah both speak with a prophetic formula. Thus says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord. Uh, but only one of the two men actually knows the sound of God's voice. Hananiah claims to speak for God, but he doesn't actually know God's voice. Jeremiah claims to speak for God, and he does know God's voice. Now, God, in some parts of the book, God comes to Jeremiah in dreams. He has a dream, and he's heard from the Lord. Um, in other parts, he maybe have some visions. What do you see? He sees things, and things go on. Or uh, maybe an insight, or maybe there's a sense of spiritual pressure upon Jeremiah. We actually see this in a, in a brilliant passage, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, a very famous passage. He's feeling actually quite frustrated with God in this passage because uh, the word of God makes him an enemy of everyone. He's kind of mad. God, every time I speak your word, people hate me. Arr! I kind of want to stop talking because it irritates me that everyone hates me. But if I try to stop talking, he says, but if I say I will not remember him, I'll use, I'll use clenched teeth to get the image. I will not remember him or speak his name anymore. Then my heart becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. The voice of God is so deeply inside me that I can't shut up about it. Like, you're going to burn me up if I don't talk the way you've asked me to talk. So Jeremiah has a very vivid sense of experiences, not just one thing, but multiple things showing him who God is. And however Jeremiah knows it, he can testify to the fact that he has a lived experience of hearing from the Lord. He knows the voice of God. And he knows the word of God, which is why he's a true prophet. Now, the true prophet is a teacher who knows the word of God and the voice of God. What does that mean for false teachers, false prophets? Well, I think broadly speaking, there's three kinds. There's three kinds of these. So one kind, the first kind, they want to speak for the voice of God without knowing God's word. They want to speak for God, but they don't, they don't know the word of God. They speak with pastoral and spiritual authority, but their words violate the scriptures. They want to break the yoke, and they don't know why the yoke is there. And this is trouble. Now, many of these may be familiar with you. Uh, this can be messages that are culturally popular, culturally very relevant. I'm sure that Hananiah's message about the return of exiles from Babylon and the, the removal of oppression, that was good news that people wanted to hear. But it wasn't the word of God for those people. Um, what you'll find is that some of these modern teachers who do this, they'll take one part of the book and they'll ignore the rest, right? Remember a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a few months ago now, we talked about Marcion. He liked the New Testament but hated the Jewish Old Testament, tried to toss out half the Bible. He's a heretic. We can't do that. We can't pick and choose the parts we want. Or you'll hear people say, hey, you know, New Testament, all about love, all that law and holiness stuff, none of it matters. Uh, I think I would ask myself, are you trying to break the yoke there? Are you sure you're confident speaking about the Word of God in that way? And I could go on and give you examples of how I think this is, but I don't think the examples are the point this morning. The point is to teach you how to be attentive to these things. Okay? 
So the prophet who doesn't know God's word, you know what? These people are actually pretty easy to spot. Pretty easy to spot because the more you know of the word, the less what they say makes sense. Okay, so you've got an easy check. Okay, second type. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Fairly easy to spot. I'm not done yet. He fulfills the warning of, uh, of Paul from 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Familiar passage. Paul, uh, Timothy's his disciple. He's giving instructions to him how to be a faithful minister uh, in, in this city. And here's what Paul says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Let me pause there. I, <laughs> that's a pretty solemn charge. I par- charge you, I give you this charge, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who judges the living and the dead. There's no higher court. There's no court of appeal. Like, this is it. The highest commandment I can give you. And he says, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Teachers who will say what they want to hear rather than what God wants them to hear. People who want to break the yoke. Verse 4, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Ultimately, everybody who rejects the word of God is building a Christianity of their own preferences and of their own desires and of the things that they want to be true. It's a very easy path to popularity, success, and fame, and it is also the judgment of the Hananias will be theirs. It's, it's doomed. Okay, second kind of prophet, false prophet, is someone who knows the word of God but has never heard the voice of God. They know the word of God, but they don't know God's voice, all right? Uh, their heads may be filled with knowledge of God. They've read all the books, but they have no lived obedience. And they have no living sense of the presence and vibrancy of who God is. They don't know the resurrected one. They just know about the resurrected one. And they know the word, but they don't know the voice. They've studied God, but don't know him. And in the same way, God becomes a God of their own imagining. Now, this kind of preacher or teacher, the one who, prophet or teacher, the one who knows the word, but not the voice, this person is harder to spot. Easy to spot the person who doesn't know the Bible. Easy, because everybody here has access to the Bible. Harder to spot the person who doesn't know God's voice, because we're less certain about this. But let me give you some help here. I think we have another scripture in the, past, in the Bible, this time from the ministry of Jesus. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the very beginning of Jesus' Jesus's, uh, ministry. They, the disciples, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. Okay? Every week on synagogue day, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. And he sits down and he teaches. And they, the group there, were amazed at Jesus' teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Ah, ah, two types of teacher, right? Scribes, they know the word of God, but apparently they don't know the voice of God. Jesus, who knows the word of God and the voice of God, has what what they receive as authority. There's something about his teaching that's just, mm, it's, there's something completely different and unexpected about these things. Probably, I, can, I don't know what this is. I'm not going to tell you what, what Jesus' authority was, because only Jesus can tell us what his authority was. <laughs> but I can take a stab at some of these things. Uh, maybe it was a conviction that Jesus knew God. 
Probably something they received, right? Uh, Maybe it was a sense that Jesus spoke with a way that you heard and you were convicted of what he said. The word landed when Jesus spoke it. Um, Maybe the word came alive when Jesus. Maybe when you read it and when the scribes read it, it was just dead words. But Jesus reads it and teaches it and it comes alive. Oh, I heard it. I heard these things for the first time. And this sense of authority, the sense of knowing who God is, is another way to help us uh, determine who is and is not a false or true teacher. Knowing the word and knowing the voice. Now, third kind, third kind of false teacher is a prophet who copies the style of the true prophet. Okay? Uh, Copies the style of the true prophet. Uh, This is a man or woman who's learned some of the word and maybe learned some of the voice or sat under teachers who know the word and teachers who know the voice, but they imitate it now for their own purposes. This is the most dangerous kind, and I think this is the most frequent kind, Um, because this one is imitating the truth. They know some Bible, they know some style, okay, and they are either self-deceived or pathological, in this. Let me explain what I mean. Self-deceived or pathological. The self-deceived person is a false teacher and doesn't know it. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. They don't actually know the word and they don't actually know the voice, but they think they do. Now, it would be easy for me to list a bunch of people that I think are false teachers, but that would distract you from the point. The point is to train us to be wise in understanding these things. The other danger is then we create the situation where I'm, I'm obviously a true prophet of God and all those other bozos are not, right? So we're not trying to set up an us and them understanding of how we approach these things. But I do think that many people lack the wisdom and knowledge to know that they are actively deceiving God's people and they think they're very honest about it. They're oblivious. It's a very dangerous place to be. Now, the pathological person is someone who would know they're actively deceiving the church, right? They would know that I, I know this isn't true, and I know I don't believe it, but I'm going to use it to manipulate and do things to you. I think that's probably very rare when that happens, but it does happen. It does happen in these things. So, how will we know the difference in this most difficult of circumstances? How do we know the difference? And I think, actually, we get wonderful help from the life of Jeremiah. If we look at his life and his character, we can begin to determine some ways to determine who is and is not a false teacher. And actually, this is one of the books I'd like to write one day. Um, when I sit through the book of Jeremiah and I read through it, I feel like there, is a, there are a series of very critical words that need to be spoken to preachers. Anyone who opens the Word of God needs to study Jeremiah to learn how to be faithful in approaching the Word of God. Now, and I'm going to pull two or three brief points out of that book to come and share them with you now. So number one, how do we know? The true, preacher, true teacher prioritizes God's Word over his or her personal comfort. That's the first thing you should know. The true teacher will prioritize the Word of God over his or her personal comfort. How do we see this in the book of Jeremiah? Uh, Here, the passage, Jeremiah chapter 1. This is from Jeremiah's call when God calls into ministry. And here's what God says. Now, gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, the people, or I will dismay you before them. Now, behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. 
Now, Jeremiah's call puts him in considerable danger. His own family will try to kill him. Kings and powers will try to kill him. People will bandy around with his life. He'll be abandoned by his friends. He'll be left to die in certain places. We'll talk about these passages soon. Jeremiah's call puts him in considerable danger. But what does he have to do? He has to prioritize the word of God, the faithfulness to the message, over his comfort. All right? Even if it's my death, I'll stay faithful to the word. It's a powerful change. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. Similar passage. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. We just read verse 9 earlier, but let me give you a few more things. Here's Jeremiah a little bit upset. Oh, Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Now, good, here's the good news. Jeremiah faithfully declared God's word and Jeremiah also faithfully said, God, I don't like it. It's okay. Jeremiah is honest to the people and honest to God at the same time. But putting God's word first meant that Jeremiah became a laughingstock, meant that people turned against him. And then he says, but if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. I'll keep speaking. I can't not speak. The focus is on God. No matter how much it hurts, Jeremiah will speak the truth. So this means Jeremiah does not make choices of speaking topics based on popularity. He does not make choices based on what he thinks people need to hear, based on his estimation. He doesn't make choices based on what he thinks they want to hear. He chooses what to say based on his convictions regarding the word and the voice. That's how he chooses what to say. If he knew only the word, he would lack the conviction to face pain. If he knew only the voice, he'd wonder if it was really God speaking. Is this God speaking or am I, am I hearing voices, right? But because he has both, he can speak with the power and confidence even in the most troubling of situations. Here's uh, one of those situations right now, chapter 21, verses 11 and 12. He has to go before the kings and say these words, then say to the household of the king of Judah, hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Hey, administer justice every morning. Deliver the person who's been robbed from the power of his oppressor, that my wrath may not go forth like fire and burn with none to extinguish it because of the evil of their deeds. Now he, in other words, go before the king, go before the powers and authorities, the people who have the capacity to make your life miserable and call them out for their junk. If you don't know the word and the voice, you will never be able to stand before kings and emperors and call them out in that way. And Jeremiah's convictions come from that dual knowledge. Okay, second reason, second way we can determine a false or true teacher. The true teacher, number two, looks for feedback from the Almighty and not man. Okay? Almighty and not man. I could have written people, but it doesn't sound as nice. Almighty and man. Okay, so I chose the, the alliteration. Forgive me for choosing alliteration. Listen with me for Jeremiah chapter 15. Uh, verses 15 through 20. And the first verses are Jeremiah's prayer, this first screen. The second verses are God's response to him. Okay, Feedback from the Almighty and not man. Jeremiah's prayer. You who know, O Lord, remember me and take notice of me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. 
Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name. His name is Jeremiah. The name Yahweh is tied into his name. I have been called by your name. O Lord God of hosts, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult because of your hand upon me. I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? I'm tired, God. Help me out. Verse 19, God responds, Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand, and if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. Key verse, They for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Who are you getting your feedback from? They may turn to you, but you must not turn to them. Verse 20, then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. They may turn to you, but you must not turn to them. You may get a following, but that's not what matters. You may become popular, but that's not what matters. You may make a lot of money, but that's not what matters. You may make a ton of converts, but that's not what matters. The only feedback that matters is the feedback that comes from God Almighty. In the words of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 21, the words we're looking for are, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's the feedback the faithful teacher wants. Final test for true and false teachers. Ready? The true teacher points you towards the teacher. The true teacher points you towards the teacher teacher. You know, the yoke in Scripture shows up one more critical time in Scripture, a passage I think you're probably familiar with. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 28 to 30. Jesus, in his Jeremiah fashion, is calling out the cities around him to talk about them to repent, the woes on them for not repenting. At the end of that message, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my Yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Seek after the ancient paths, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. They point you towards the teacher, and you know what? Jesus gives us a stark alternative. Whose yoke are you going to wear? You have a choice of yokes, right? The yoke of judgment or the yoke of grace? with Jesus, the yoke of disobedience or the yoke of partnership with the king, a yoke of slavery or the yoke of rest. Um, Some of you are Bob Dylan fans, you know the song, right? He says, you got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. Now, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Not making a choice is still a choice, one for the other, right? And the whole sermon is built up to this joke. Ready? If you don't make a choice, the yoke's on you. Okay. Okay, it's not true that the whole sermon built toward that point, but, but let, me, uh, let me summarize what we've covered this morning. There's one key insight to know a true prophet of God, true prophet or teacher. 
This is a person who knows both the Word of God and the voice of God. It's deep knowledge of the Word, deep knowledge of the voice. It's the key thing. And then there are three tests to determine if this person is the right character. Does this person prioritize the Word of God over his or her personal comfort? Does faithfulness matter more than comfort? Does this person look to feedback from the Almighty, or is he looking to the feedback from a crowd? Right? It's the second test. And the third and final test, of course, is does this person point you to King Jesus? When you leave, are your focus on Jesus or on the teacher? And that's critical as well. I'm going to invite our musicians to come and take their places at this point. I'm also going to highlight our prayer ministers this morning. For this service, we have Gary Watt and Janice Stigston. I'm not sure where you all are. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi, Janice. Okay, I think they'll be over here. And we have Clive and Debbie Harvey as well. Um, These are lovely people who will pray with you and pray for you and uplift you in the spirit. And I encourage you um, to see them. They have name tags. They'll be standing in the one down here and one up here. Oh, there's Clive and Debbie. Hi. So... um, What do we do at this point? What do we do with a message like this? Um, My job is not to make you critics. You should be critical thinkers, but not become critics. Not sit with your arms crossed and saying with every teacher, like, hmm, I wonder if he's real or not, right? Um, But the best thing you can do, the best thing we can do, is we can focus our attention on King Jesus and worship him, worship him in the spirit, invite his spirit to be in our hearts, and allow him to be our focus. So as we sing now, turn your eyes upon the Lord and let him transform and shape you. May I invite you to please to stand as we sing.